Ladies and gentlemen, you are invited to a moment in history. There's been many. When George Washington uh, had wooden teeth and chopped down his father's cherry tree only to become the first president of the United States of America. Uh, when people did things at Normandy. And <laughs> now. And the Open Guard cast had their 100th episode. You're invited to be a part of that. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jake Watson, Black Belt under Matakaba BJJ and co-host of the Open Guard cast. My better half, Danny O'Donnell, Black Belt under Marcio Andre Academy. We're here with the Bellator heavyweight champion, Ryan Bader. What's up? Freaking, oh, dude, <laughs> I, you know what's cool is we had this, uh, we've had this for a while where we, we were talking about who we're going to have for the 100th episode, right? And Danny, we're like, wow, I mean, we're going to have a big guest. And then, funny enough, I actually uh, I teach Ryan Bader's kids Brazilian yeah. Jiu-Jitsu. Great kids. Uh, Ryan Bader's a great Thank dad you. as well. And I've known you since I was like 12 years old. I remember when I was, uh, you were I training were in the boxing ring at the Lions Den. I was a kid. I was 12. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Ryan Bader. Because I remember... Uh, I watched on the Ultimate Fighter, and yeah. then I met you, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that guy knocked out Viggy, Vinny Magalhaes." I called him Viggy Magalhaes. Vinny Magalhaes on the Ultimate Fighter. That's him. And then I remember you said something to me. I was like doing boxing. I was like, "Hey, I'm Jake," and you were like, "Hey, hey, Jake, you got a nice right hand or something like that, something yeah. small." But I was like, "Oh my gosh, you just <laughs> have a nice right hand." Like it was like the biggest thing to me. But it's cool that it all comes full circle, you know? Oh yeah, I mean, we were 12 at that time or younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it's it's crazy for me, you know, because I, you know, obviously I have power and stuff. I, I watch you guys all kind of grow up, and you know, and then kind of start your own stuff, your own career. And obviously, you were, you know, you were boxing all that, but jujitsu was your thing, and to watch you grow, and you know, black belt now, and killing people on the mats, and it's cool to see, and it's cool to see all you guys, you know, from. From, like you say, 12, 10 years old, now I see you guys, I'm like, man, I don't feel like I'm getting old, but obviously, you know, these guys are growing up in front of my own eyes, you know, so it's pretty cool. It's very cool to see. Yeah, it's been it's been a, a real big blessing for me, and, you know, I've known Andre um, forever, and uh, now you're at, at, at Power, you are training with uh, Jair, and you're a brown belt in Brazilian, you're brown belt four stripes, no? Yep. Dang, so you're three knocking stripes. on, yep. whew, knocking on that door. Uh, so that, that's, I mean, I've known you, you were blue belt, I think back when me and you were rolling and then we, yeah, you you know, got it, under Andre. You know, throughout my whole career, you know, I got purple belt from Arcaba. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to like manage your whole, you know, with, with fighting an MMA, you know, and there was times where, you know, I mean, man, there was probably like four years or something when I didn't put on the gi and all that. And then, you know, at power with Marcaba, I started doing it more and more. Um, and then kind of got out of it for like a year or two. And then, you know, now I do it at least two to three times a week, you know, and, and I enjoy it a lot. And obviously with MMA, there's what I love about this sport. If you get bored with something, you know, I've wrestled my whole life, you know, to be honest, I'm bored with it, you know, um, Mm -hmm. wrestled at kind of one of the highest levels, you know, in D one, uh, division one, you know, college and at ASU. And now I, I just love immersing myself in not necessarily something new but you know with the gi you know it's probably i mean a couple years ago i started being more consistent with it like i said you know i do it every week uh if not three times a week and i love learning you know and there's some things like wrestling where i felt like i kind of there's always something to learn but i feel like all right i'm kind of at the top of that you know and so it's fun to dive into that learn the intricacies of that um, and, and like, you know, you know, you get addicted to it, you know? And so even in my training camps, you know, two months out, I still put on the gi at least once or twice a week, you know, and I get good roles. I get, That's awesome. you know, being a wrestler, I can't power out of stuff and, and it keeps me in check and gets my jiu-jitsu game tighter and better for mixed martial arts. And it's something that I'll want to do after I retire, you know, I'll, I'll want to compete and also, you know, in, in BJJ and, and, uh, keep that I need, always need to compete, basically. So I'll have that the rest of my life. Yeah, and you know what's funny? Before I let before I let Danny ask a, a question, I, I just what you just said um, with your like you were doing no gi and wrestling for so long, and now yeah. you're doing the gi. For me, Quentin and Robert at uh, Maracaba, they are teaching me so much about wrestling, and yeah. I want to do no gi. Like I want to do ADCC, mm-hmm. and I want to compete in all these tournaments. So now it's like I, I've learned so much in the gi. Not that I'm bored with the gi, but like yeah. learning wrestling for me, I feel like a child. I have no idea. Like Robert the other day, he shot for my leg, 
snapped on my head and shot again, and I sprawled on my face. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I have no idea what I'm doing on the feet. I feel like a white belt. If Danny yeah. would have saw it, he probably would have turned red. But uh, it was awful, and I'm glad no one was there. I was teaching the class. I'm like, you know what? Just because I'm teaching the class doesn't mean I know anything. I'm yeah. teaching no gi. He just took me down. I'm kind of upset, but I'm learning, and it's fun to learn like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, look at Robert, right? He has that great wrestling base, and then um, the guys that really immerse themselves in, into learning and learning in the gi – um, you know, and, and putting yourself in those bad positions, you know, pulling guard and all that. So I try to do that more and more just so, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't love to be, you know, on my back. And we, as wrestlers, we were taught since seven years old, never go to your back at all costs, you know? So when you get those wrestlers that throw the ego aside and say, Hey, I'm going to put myself in bad positions to get better. Um, and, and work from these bad positions, you know, that's where you're going to make the biggest leaps and, and a good wrestler, and we've been doing this since we were seven years old, year-round, basically. So if you can translate that over into uh, BJJ and, and put yourselves in bad positions and, and learn out of those positions um, with no ego, those guys are really, really tough to beat. Yeah, I feel, I feel like that kind of leads into my, my first question. But um, I noticed that one thing that you do really well in your MMA career is you – keep your wrestling really strong and you use it really well but you've also added so many tools to your game like you have a really good left hook that you've knocked out a lot of guys with mm-hmm. really good hands your jiu-jitsu defense and submission defense is really on point and you talked about like not letting wrestling and some of the skills like uh not get stale but it got maybe a little boring because you reached such a high level yeah. so how important has it been for you to like really immerse yourself individually into the other arts in, in order to like evolve your mma game yeah it's huge you know at the very beginning um, we went pretty quickly, you know, especially at that time frame. you know, we, I had, I want to say like four or five fights, you know, just local fights. I took whatever I get. I always just stayed ready, but I was a wrestler, you know, um, you know, you think you're going to do all this stuff in the MMA fight. You're like, Oh, I'm going to strike. I'm going to see how my strikes come along and all that. And your first couple of fights, you go back to what your bread and butter is. And that was wrestling for me. And so, you know, when, when a guy's trying to take your head off, I went to my wrestling. I used my wrestling pretty exclusively for like the first 10 fights, you know, and then, um, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and obviously through training and all that, I got more and more comfortable, um, to the point now I feel like I'm, I'm safe everywhere. And, and I like to immerse myself in, you know, jujitsu and, and striking. And throughout the years, it was kind of one of these things where, all right, you know, one size fits all kind of thing. We're going to do tie pads and all that. But out through the years and my fights and experience, I realized, all right, this is what works for me. Am I going to be throwing up triangles? Probably not, right? Am I going to be kicking a ton? Eh, not really, you know. So I kind of tailored my game to what I, I saw was successful in my fights and training. And so I, I, now I feel like I have a good system based on my wrestling, based on feints, you know, you think you're going, I'm going in for a takedown, I'm hitting you in the face, and then vice versa. You know, and then um, in mixed martial arts, I feel like I really haven't even uh, shown my true potential in the jiu-jitsu game, you know, where fights are kind of different, you know, there's punches involved. So I, I look for control more than anything. And I have a, a little system that I do on top. You know, I've been on the bottom maybe twice in my whole career in 30-something fights, you know, and one was mm-hmm. under Phil Davis, who's a nasty wrestler, um, but I just got, I got up, you know, got a half guard, mm-hmm. got up the fence, pushed my way up and I'm back up, you know, so, um, fighting is definitely different when you're using jujitsu and I like to go more on that, you know, that control. So we drill a ton of wrestling mixed with, with uh, jujitsu and just get my system down where if I get a control, if I get a little, you know, I get the leg split and a little, little bar arm rolling under, I know I'm going to finish that fight right there. So um, yeah, I mean, jumping into every, every individual discipline is, is huge. And like, you know, Jake was saying, getting bored or whatever. It's not like you're bored with the sport or anything. You just want to be uh, stimulated different ways, you know? And so that's what I like about mm-hmm. MMA. I can jump around. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, it's interesting what you just said about formulating systems, the same, same principle in jujitsu. And I imagine it's the same thing in many sports is setting yourself up in a position where you can work a formulated way to best attack your opponent. I mean, arguably one of the best uh, wrestlers or at least people who used wrestling effectively in 
MMA history was Khabib. And yep. Khabib, every time he got to the ground, what did he do? He laced the legs against the fence, yep. controlled one of the arms, brought him to the ground, immobilized him on the ground. You do a fantastic job of that. In your last fight versus Machida, great job. Once the fight was on the ground, I don't think Machida got up every, every round, right? Well, Once yeah. it was on the ground, no. done. And that's how yep. fights should be. And I think that that, and I want your opinion on this, for new uh, MMA fighters, especially ones that come from jiu-jitsu or from a wrestling background, that's the model they should follow. Because, yeah, yeah it's cool to be in entertainment and everything like that, but if you're looking for longevity in a career, mm-hmm. I don't want to get hit in the face. That no. sucks. I'm going to get CTE or whatever <laughs> whatever it's called. I don't know what, exactly what it's called, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I agree. You know, um, myself and I just brought up his name. I fought him also a couple times. Phil Davis were the least hit guys in the UFC. You know, and that comes off a wrestling background of we can dictate where the fight goes and um, use our wrestling, you know, to not get hit, basically control the fight. Uh, but I agree, you know. Um, you know, nowadays, it's, you know, people like to watch people stand there and hit each other in the face. There's no doubt about it, you know. Um, you know, but us in the sport, whether you're in jiu-jitsu or in MMA, you know, we appreciate the ground fighting also, you know. And, and we see those little things where we're like, wow, that was, that was amazing, you know. Um, so, I mean, there's a fine line there, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, I look at a fight and approach it where I've always just wanted to win, you know, and yeah, I want to go knock people out. I want to do it in the most spectacular fashion ever, but I'm going to go in there with a formulated plan to go out there and neutralize my opponent's strengths and get the win, you know, at any cost possible. Um, so, I mean, that's a big thing. And, and like I was saying, entertainment's awesome, but what's even better is getting your full paycheck, getting a win, and moving on and getting a belt, you know. And so that's my whole deal. You know, if you're – say you're – you know, you're uh, – I don't know. You you're, have a 500 career. You're, you're not sniffing a title shot anytime soon. Yeah, maybe you want to go out there and be entertaining and whatnot. But, um, you know, there's a lot on the line every fight money-wise – you know, titles, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to do everything's possible to put myself in the best position to win. Mm-hmm. Health-wise. Yeah. I mean, longevity-wise, too. I mean, I've been doing this since 2006, you know, and, and I feel just as good as I right now at 38 years old than I did at 25, if not better, you know, and that's experience. That's that's uh, doing the right things and, you know, fighting a certain way also and, and not getting injured in, in fights and in training camp. Mm-hmm. So Jake uh, brought up Khabib, and uh, I was just wondering if there were any guys like similar to him or who had similar styles. Like I know GSP was one who used a lot of like striking, leading into his takedowns, and really awesome ground control that you kind of tried to emulate when you were first coming up in the sport. Yeah, I don't necessarily like look at it as like emulating them, but I mean, watching like the wrestlers kind of come up. You know, when I was in college, I was at ASU. You know, and uh, we had. You know, certain wrestlers, you know, Dan Henderson was a pioneer, you know, obviously he had that big right hand, he could take you down and whatnot. Um, and then Aaron Simpson, my coaches at ASU, had a friend in Josh Koscheck, and we were interested to see how he did on the Ultimate Fighter, you know, because he was a pure wrestler. You know, and so kind of watching those guys, um, and honestly, it was just kind of, just kind of my own system kind of deal, which is very similar to like a Khabib's, right? Um, get in a dominant position, work your way there. And once you secure that, that's when you go. You know, I'm not over there in the guy's guard throwing unnecessary punches that I know aren't going to land, that are going to be blocked. So I'm looking to advance that position to the point where, you know, like I said, I have, you know, an arm isolated. He can't move because I have, you know, his his legs and whatnot. And, you know, like I said, I'm not going to be – you never really seen me throw hooks in either you know, and, and go for rear naked choke. It's just because I have short little legs. Even in wrestling, I'd throw a leg in and I'd get sat to my hip and I had to scramble from there. I just know, you know, what where I'm good at in those certain positions and I just try to get the best I can at that. You know, I fought Matt Mitrione. Um, you know, he's no wizard on the ground, but he's a big, big boy. You know, and if you watch that fight, I liter- literally run through the same system for like 15 minutes. You know, almost got him a Kimura, but, you know, I didn't see he was about to tap, but um, I just recycled that the whole time. He couldn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those those kind of systems, like, like we talked about before, those kind of systems are incredibly important. Uh, and, you know, like you brought up a point earlier about 
uh, feeling better now than you did at the beginning of your career or even like a couple few years into your career. We talked about that a long time ago, you and I. Um, yeah. It was I, I like came in the gym with like the fight to win belt. And I was like, hey, check it out. And I was like, it's like yours. And you were like, well, <laughs> like, you're cool. <laughs> like, I'm like, you know, I'm like 19. But, um, but you did say something that was really constructive where you, where you said, um, I feel better now. And I, I mean, I, I'm 34 and yeah. I won the belt. It's all about figuring it out. And I feel like now I'm a more complete athlete, a more mature athlete. Uh, was there any point in your career where there, was there anybody who came to you or was this something you found out on your own, like different steps you needed to take to, co- to sort of become a more, I want to say intelligent fighter, not that you weren't before, but I mean, like the hook, for instance, when you throw the left hook, you're very good about throwing it at the end of your range and ducking your head out of the way. Same one you knocked out Fedor with the one you knocked out uh, King Mo with same technique, different application. That is very intelligent to me. So is there, was there a moment in your career you can pinpoint where that sort of mentality came into play? I mean, it was, it's kind of evolving throughout the career. It wasn't one moment in particular. It's, it's, I mean, we come from a wrestling background where it's like, all right, you're tired. you got to do more rounds or you got to wrestle more. you got to go for a run. Whereas nowadays, you know, recovery is such a huge thing, too, and listening to your body. Um, so when you were younger, I mean, I remember that power there sparring four or five rounds and like i'm exhausted why am i so tired i better do two more you know when you need to do the opposite you probably need to take that day off and drill or something like that you know and listen to your body so that was a huge thing you know and um more is not always best you know and, and that and then in mma i think something clicks at, at a certain point and that was uh, my rashad evans fight everything kind of slowed down a little bit i wasn't fighting off emotions and and, um, you know, letting that get in the way, everything kind of slowed down. I could see everything. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I, I know what I'm doing. I can think in there instead of relying on instincts. And, um, you know, after that, that, that was a huge turning point, I believe, um, because then I can think and formulate a plan in there without just kind of reacting every time, you know, so that was huge. And then going in and then obviously having the right people around you, you know, at the beginning of our career, we would, we didn't know any better, but we'd go in there and hit pads and literally we'd just be like cardio pads. You know, we weren't learning anything, you know, and, and that took until you got with a good striking coach to be like, oh, wow. You know, I could have been this more advanced because I'm literally just hitting, hitting pads with the guy in front of me. You know, um, it's a workout. And that was it. So learning those, learning what worked for me, learning the jab was huge. You know, I got with Jose Benavidez. His kids are killing it right now in boxing. And I learned the jab from him, which you learn a jab, now you buy yourself time. You know, you can sit and yeah. jab the whole fight if you need to and you can think. Um, instead of just going, oh, I got to hit him with a hard right hand. You know, and so that was huge. And then this, it's, it's experience. What works for you, what doesn't. And that's, you know, in the cage and on the mats and then outside also. You know, nutrition, all that kind of stuff. And so um, it's – I always try to evolve every fight I've lost. I've tried to take in, take the good out of that and be like, all right, well, I need to work on this. Or, hey, man, I felt a little tired in that fight. Um, I'm going to ramp up the cardio for that next fight. Uh, this position, I lost this position. I'm going to drill this a ton. Um, so I think it's just an evolution throughout, you know, these, you know, 13 years I've been doing it. Another thing I thought you did that was really smart throughout your career is that there's a lot of wrestlers who, who are really like powerful guys and they start to get knockouts on their record. And yeah. it seems like they try to favor that strategy. They're, they kind of fall in love with the power and the knockout. But you consistently, you had knockouts, but you would always still go back to your wrestling and never abandon that tool. Did you feel like that was a big aspect of your longevity oh, yeah. as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, every I, I was kind of guilty of it too at one point, you know, but um, – as soon as you get in a bad position, I went back to my wrestling. But, um, yeah, I get to the point now where, all right, go in there. And just like a system for jiu-jitsu, I have one on my feet. And it all comes off of my, my level changes because you don't know if I'm throwing a hard right hand, a left hook. Just like, you know, you mentioned the Fedor fight. I went down. It looks like it was, could be a takedown. It could be right hand, but I hit him with a hook. You know, we studied that a lot. Knew he was going to flee out to the right side and all that. Um yeah, so, I mean, wrestling and my striking is kind of one and the same. It, it comes off each other, you know, and so um, it not, might not be the prettiest, yeah, but it, 
with small gloves. And if you can land, that's all it usually takes, you know? And so, um, you see that all the time and I keep bringing the guy up, but like a Phil Davis, right? He'll, he'll, he's a beast on the ground. One of the stronger guys I've competed against, but he'll stand there and have a, a striking contest for 15 to 25 minutes. And you're like, come on, shoot. Like his last fight. I'm like, we've got to go in there. We were, I was doing that desk of that, uh, analyst role. I'm like, He's got to threaten him with takedowns. He's got to get a takedown in the first and second. He'll win that fight, you know. But and then he stood there the whole time and, and kickbox to kick, kickboxer, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. You were on the desk. You were you were a commentator for yeah. for that. Uh, he fought Corey Anderson, who you will be meeting next. Yeah, he fought uh, the Russian dude, dude Nemkov. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. You're right. But you will be you will be matching up against Corey Anderson next. Yes, yes? I will be. Yep. And and you were okay. So I was right about the events of you being a commentator yeah, yeah, you, no, and, and who he fought. Yeah. What's it like commentating? That had that. How was that? Yeah, it was good. I'm I'm doing it again in uh, two weeks for the Pitbull um, fight in L.A. It's uh, so I'm on the desk there, and they'll cut to us, and we you know we analyze the fights. Um, it's a lot more work than I thought it was. You know, um, for the whole day. I mean, we go there, we run through the whole fight. I mean, so we will put three hours in for a walkthrough. We go change, put on a suit, come back, and you're there from, you know, 5 p.m. to 11, 11 p.m., you know, and, and uh, talking about the upcoming fights and all that. But I liked it because I really had to dive in and, and study the opponents or, you know, the people that are fighting. It just happened to be potentially some of my opponents. And so I got to do a deeper dive on that, not as a fighter, but as an analyst. And mm-hmm. I actually learned a lot just from doing that. Um, yeah, it, it's – I mean, I don't love it, like, beforehand <laughs> – you know, but once yeah. I'm in it, I'm like, all right, this is pretty cool and, and something different and gets me out of my comfort zone. Um, and so it, it was fun and got invited back to do it some more. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I, the, <laughs> the, the, re, the reason why I ask, I feel like for, and Danny can agree with me on this. Um, coaching jujitsu has absolutely opened up my jujitsu and it's made me a better fighter. It's made me a better competitor. It's made me a better coach. It's made me a better commentator as well. Um, so I wanted to ask the same thing for you because you commentating, you just, you just said the answer to my question, which is really cool. Uh, forces you to do a deeper dive on people you could potentially be fighting. So now yeah. like, and then you're surrounded by two other people, correct on the desk who are also analysts who may yeah. say something who you're like, Oh wait, I didn't even think about that. That's really helpful. Yeah. You know, if you're doing it with Kenny Florian, Kenny Florian, win your fight, <laughs> like Kenny yeah. Florian, win the fight for you just based off of something he says. Um, so I wanted to know if that, if that was, uh, something maybe you felt or something maybe you learned because commentating, I think for, like, I didn't know I was going to love it until I did it. Yeah, and and Danny knew. I knew Danny was going to be a natural on the mic. Uh, the moment we started this podcast, I was like, "This guy is going to carry the jiu-jitsu community on his back," but uh, which he does. He just doesn't yeah. know it. Um, but that's that's really cool because I, I think that uh, that's a, that's an interesting thing that not a lot of fighters get the opportunity to do. Yeah, but uh, you you're it's a lot one of fun, them. and like I said, you learn so much when you when you're not looking at these guys as far as like I'm going to fight this guy next or this is my next opponent, right? And to be honest, I don't watch a ton of MMA. And so to go through the whole card from prelims all the way to the main event and study each fighter, and then while studying them, you can also take things they do well and be like, oh, I really like that. No, that was tricky. Or, man, you know, that, you know, whatever it is, on the feet or on the ground, you know, how he went from this position to this position. I haven't seen that before, you know. And so that kind of opened my eyes a little bit too. You know, just like you are saying, coaching – you know, um, I feel like I, I'm a very good wrestler. I know most most positions in wrestling. But when I say we're doing a gi class and they're like, hey, can you show a few takedowns? And I start really breaking it down. I'm like, I didn't even realize I did this, but this is a cool little trick right here too, you know, and you're, it, it helps out a ton. You know, or when you're trying to, like, somebody asks, why am I not finished as a single leg? You're like, well, you need to put here, here. And, uh, well, I didn't realize, you know, if you step back this way, a little more for whatever it is, you know. So I, I think coaching, doing the analyst role, all that kind of stuff is only going to help you, and it's helped me a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So I want to change gears a little bit, if it's okay with you guys, and talk yeah. about the uh, the Bellator heavyweight tournament because um, yeah. that was one of my favorite moments of your career. You had obviously three amazing fights, and um, after you fought in that, did you feel like you – was there any – thought about like oh i wish i would have tried heavyweight sooner or i wish i would have had more fights at that or did you feel like your light heavyweight experience just kind of prepared you for what you needed at that time 
Yeah, I mean, because uh, my coach at the time, Aaron Simpson, was always saying, like, man, you'd be a good heavyweight. You're fast. You're just as strong as them and all that. And going in there kind of made me realize, like, man, like, I'm pretty good at this weight because I do yeah. have those attributes. You know, I'm, I'm quicker than these guys. I'm, I'm just as strong, and my cardio is always going to be better than any of the heavyweights because it was one of the best at light heavyweight. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, in that – I mean, in the whole – in any one of my heavyweight fights, I haven't got punched in the face yet, you know? And so yeah. um, that always kind of brings you back. You're like, man, you know, I should have done this a lot, a lot sooner. Because those light heavyweight guys are, are just as strong, and, but they're faster, you know? And so mm-hmm. um, and then I thought I was preparing my last loss. I thought I was pre- uh, preparing to fight Chet Congo at heavyweight. And then, like, you know, I, I tore my MCL. And I'm like, all right, it's going to be in September at heavyweight. You know, I'm fine, even though I can't run, I can't do a lot, I can't grapple. Um, so I'll be fine. And then they called and like, hey, we can get Nemkov, he's from Russia, we can get him into the States, and it's going to be three weeks earlier. So I was like, oh, man, screw it. I'm going to do it because during COVID, I didn't know when I was going to fight again. So I had to cut that weight, all that kind of stuff, and fight a faster guy, you know, coming from the heavyweights down to light heavyweight and didn't go well for me, obviously. And then I'm like, all right, I'm done with light heavyweight. I'm going to be heavyweight exclusively. Had a fight lined up with Tim Johnson and they called again. Hey, would you want to do this light heavyweight tournament? And I'm like, screw it. Let's do it. So we're back down here. I got, you know, I fought Machida, so I got to win at light heavyweight again. And, and uh, two fights away from winning the light heavyweight title now. So um, I, I look for opportunities, honestly. And um, heavyweight's so much fun. I like fighting there i don't have to cut weight it's a great fight week um but i'm not going to pass up the opportunity to go for a belt again be in another grand prix potentially win two grand prix you know so um at this point in my career i'm looking to do different stuff like that yeah well i didn't know that uh i didn't know that about the your mcl that's crazy that definitely yeah, I mean, matters a lot it is what it is i took the fight you know but it just uh it was a crazy time at that time i'm like i what happens if it really gets shut down? I don't fight for two years, you know? So I'm like, screw it. We're going to take the fight. And our coach, Jay, he was like, after the fight, you know, he was like, hey, I was about to pull you out. But, I mean, it is what it is. I went in and fought and didn't go my way. That's the game, you know? Hmm. Uh, you know, and you have done actually as well. And I think only really – and in the highest level of MMA, only other only Gilbert Burns has also done this. But you have stepped into the jiu-jitsu world, and you competed against Mason Fowler on Submission Underground. Mm-hmm. And that's Uncle Chael's thing, yeah. uh, which is – I call him Uncle Chael because that guy is just <laughs> – he's so homely. He's so wholesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he said, Ryan Bader, come down to Portland, Oregon. No, but uh, I'm not going to do the impression <laughs> again. But he uh, – See? Good. Okay, that's two. Yeah, two bad. people that's think bad. that impression is good. Uh, uh, but do you have any plans to compete uh, potentially in submission underground or even in jiu-jitsu yeah. again? Because now you're talking about being in the gi. I've seen you throw a lapel guard and Britain Bolo on your Instagram story. Oh, dude, yeah. My, I got, jiu-jitsu, I got a nasty jiu-jitsu, for sure. Oh, dude. <laughs> I got a, a, a jiu-jitsu halfy when I saw that, when I saw <laughs> oh, that yeah. Instagram story. I was like, yo, that's insane. He is yeah, just – I mean, that's fun. I did two uh, submission undergrounds. I, you know, I went in there, grappled uh, Anthony Johnson. You know, and it was fun to train for that because, you know, five-minute round, you know, with a, a strong guy like Anthony, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I potentially had a few submissions there, but you're figuring that thing's going to go to overtime, you know, and uh, it did. And so we were drilling a lot of those overtime rules, you know, starting an arm bar and all that kind of stuff. And, and it paid off because um, I ended up getting out, you know, faster than he did whatnot. Um, it was fun. And then he called me again the next week. He said, hey, you want to go against Mason Fowler? I'm like, hey, screw it. Sure. You know, and that, that was, that's fun. Um, the whole thing going in there, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to be safe. Try not to get hurt here. You know, <laughs> and so, uh, it was fun. I'll, I'll do some more too. You know, um, definitely when I don't have fights, it was awesome to go in there and compete and get that competition mode going, you know, before a fight. Cause I haven't fought for a while. So it was, it was cool to go in there and get those two, two matches, you know, and kind of, go through those nerves and all that kind of stuff and, and uh, prepare me for my next fight. So it was good. It was fun. Mm-hmm. 
And as far as like, uh, like, do you see? I know you've competed in Arizona in the local Arizona Brazilian Jiu Jitsu League tournament. Yeah. Um, as a purple belt, you competed back then. Uh, do you have any plans on maybe entering into like a no gi Jiu Jitsu tournament, or or you are a state champion? Me and you both yeah. won state that year. No go. big deal. But um, <laughs> hey, no big deal. Ryan Bader and I won state same year. Uh, teammates back then. Um, but listen. <laughs> I'm just trying to see. Are you going to compete in some – maybe ADCC? Yeah, I've seen yeah. I've seen Pierre, uh, Matt Hughes, uh, yeah. Ricardo Arona. I want to um, – we were just – you know, it all depends on fights, you know, because that's my yeah. number one. And, you know, when I retire too, I want to compete more uh, in the gi, you know, and do no gi and all that kind of stuff. And, and Jai's, Jai's pushing me to do uh, Master Worlds, you know, in the gi That'd too. Awesome. So I think that would be fun. Right. Um, and I, I love to compete. That, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm never going to – have a life where there's no competition in it, you know? And so, um, that's awesome. And my wife recently got into, um, into the gi and she's been doing it for about three months now. She hurt her knee for a little bit, had to take some time off, but she's a stud and, and, uh, I think she's going to compete here at the, in August at the state championship here. I'm trying to push oh, her. She's awesome. nervous, but yeah, get her in there. <laughs> right. Even everybody that trains with her is like, she's a pretty nasty white belt. She's strong. <laughs> and, like, you're gonna, Go to masters, you're going to crush these girls. So it's cool to see her get into it also and, and have that outlet. Have something she loves it. I'll, I'll come home and I hear some uh, Portuguese going, and she's watching instructional <laughs> videos on YouTube. That's oh, awesome. Danny. I got to tell you, there's there's uh, what's funny about Ryan. So Ryan Bader, your family man, and uh, actually before I even tell the story about uh, a couple stories about your sons because they're funny, but actually yeah. funny. Kids don't make me laugh. Yeah. Kids make me laugh. Um, <laughs> they make me laugh in like a in like a, a actual funny way. But yeah. I just want to ask because at the beginning of your career, you were your sons weren't born yet at the beginning of your career, mm-hmm. and now your sons are you have three uh, two sons and a daughter named Hartley. Yeah. And uh, how has being a father changed your outlook on MMA, and how has it changed you as an athlete? Yeah, I mean, you you always have that. You know, it's it's bigger than you now you know, and having a family and having kids, you definitely get that feeling. Um, I've tried to, you know, and back in the day before kids, you could be more selfish, right? It was, especially when you're training, it was all about you and, you know, and you have to make it that that way. Um, as I got more experience and all that, had kids, um, I just turn them both on and off. You know, if I'm in the gym, that's, I'm in the gym and that's what I'm concentrated on. I'm the, you know, fighter, you know, but then I turn that off when I come home, you know, I don't really think about MMA. I don't think about training that much. You know, when I'm home, I'm, I'm a father, husband, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's been pretty seamless to be honest. So, um, and, and you walk into a fight and, you know, um, you have that on the back of your head too. you know, fight week, uh, when you're competing or going into a potentially dangerous situation, you know, uh, you definitely appreciate your family more and more. You know, you're like, oh, I miss my kids. I was, I'm here at this hotel for seven days. I'm about to get in the cage and fight another man locked in a cage. You know, and so I, I love it. It gives you a new appreciation of what is really important. You know, and that's your family, your health, and all that kind of stuff, too. Um, and at the flip side, I love to compete, you know, and I, I, I'm only happy when, I'm, when I have that outlet, too. You know, and, um, uh, yeah, like Jake was saying, kids are funny. They're, you know, they're like little teenagers, and they got – whether it's me and my wife or whatever, they're watching YouTube, you know, they're pretty witty and funny. And I, I remember I, uh, they, my, my wife and the kids picked me up from the airport after I lost my last fight or with Nemcoff. I get in and Rocket's like, dad, why'd you get knocked out? I'm like, oh, <laughs> thanks buddy. I was like, sometimes it happens, whatever, you know, but, uh, you know, they, they'll watch the fights and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, they have a good understanding about it now. And, and, uh, um, try to raise my kids where, you know, expose them to a lot of different things, see what they like, you know, and nurture the stuff that they're, they're good at and they like and want to do. And so, um, feel like I have a good dynamic and being able to separate those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're wonderfully respectful too. Like Hartley, Hartley is so polite and rocket and, uh, and, uh, and Cannon would just yeah. be bothering her during class. And she would just be like, <laughs> like, roll. I saw that little girl roll her eyes like three times a day oh, yeah. at her brother's <laughs> so funny. Um, but Rob rockets is really goofy kid. And he, he gets a single leg and I'm like, Hey man, you did a single leg incorrectly. I'm gonna tell your dad. I just, that's what I do. I just say, Hey, do you wrestle bad? I'm gonna tell your dad. And he's yeah. like, 
you pick it, and he's grappling one day. He picks up the leg, and he's like, "Ooh, it's a big one!" Like he's deep sea fishing. <laughs> like he's like, "Oh, it's a big one! It's a big one!" And then I think you were there that day. And I yeah. looked at you. I was like, I looked the bewildered look on my face. I was like, did you really just say that? And I don't know uh, if Can- he- Cannon might have told you this one, Ryan, but when I teach the rear naked choke to the kids, I teach it very simple. It's just gable grip, short. Yeah. I call it the short choke because it's a sh- short version of the choke. I'm like, all right, so the top arm of the seatbelt the one over the shoulder, what's that called? And it's called the choking arm is what I say. But Cannon raises his hand. He's like, the choker. And the kids lose it. (laughs) And I am freaking dying laughing. I don't know. I have to like reel the class in and myself because now every kid calls it the choker. They're like, Coach Jake, it's the choker. And I'm like, no, it's not a freaking 80s style fad. It's a a choking arm, man. Gosh, you can call it the choker. The kids from Hot Topic are gonna—they're gonna start coming yeah. to jiu-jitsu. Yeah, they're they're funny. Kind of they come up with some stuff here and there. And I'm like, where are you learning this stuff from? I love it, mm-hmm. you know. Especially, you know, I try to, like I said, nurture that kind of stuff where you know they're funny, actually funny, you know. But it's funny. So our my older boy, Cannon, you know, he's nine, and then Rocket's six, and Rocket's like a little beefcake, you know. He's pretty dang big. <laughs> he has that mentality of like kill or be killed kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And so Cannon was kind of getting picked on one time walking back you know, at the pickup line at school and Rocket was like, why don't you hit him in the face? I'm like, no, we're not hitting anybody in the face, but that's his mentality. Right. And then Rocket went and handled it for him. Oh, he was shoot. like, he, he go, apparently he goes, uh, the other kid was walking with another, another kid. And that kid said to Ken, he's like walking with Hartley. My daughter's like, Oh, what is that? Your girlfriend? And Ken just kind of put his head down and walked away. So next day Rocket goes up and he's walking with his friend. He goes, what is that? Your boyfriend? <laughs> and he goes I go what else you say and then Rocky goes I told him yo mama like, what there's no context where yo mama comes up but anyway six year old punked the kid out and they stopped bullying him so it works when you're oh, six man yo mama is the, yeah, that's a I guess right there's it is no, there's no comeback I was making a comeback but man Ryan I'll teach that kids class and I'll hear some of the most whack unintelligible crazy yeah. nonsense i've ever heard in my life and i have to i have to leave and like pray after the class i'm like this is <laughs> awful like this, this is like i don't know what i got generation. myself into yeah dude, yeah like i see the the fire like just like devil horns poking out of some of these kids heads i'm like dude these kids are nuts yeah, like, okay, are. i saw there's like kids will just clock each other with a right hand and i'm like what are you doing like that's not okay socially like yeah. what are you doing and uh dude yeah rocket rocket is a little a little fireball he he will yeah be in the middle of a hard roll talking to the kid like like he's <laughs> like he's Nate Diaz or something like he's <laughs> walking forward he'll get taken down and be like ooh like I've heard him say legitimately is that all you got like <laughs> like to a, another seven year old child I'm like yeah. this kid is gonna grow up and fight for that's sure that's so awesome well that, he came to the first uh, jiu-jitsu class I brought him to with you guys and he comes out like water break and he was looking for his water I'm like hey your water's right here and he comes up he's like you see that dad I just murdered that kid I'm like, no, we're not, <laughs> no, we're not saying that. Like, just shut your mouth and get back out there and train. <laughs> they like putting his hat down. He's like, I'm the fighter, Dad. Like, yeah, that's me. That's my son. Like, this is the kid who's seen me knock people out, and then they don't wake up for a minute. This is probably <laughs> yeah. what happens when my son has yeah. seen that. Oh, that one's so going to be a handful. I like that's it, though. He's a, he's a very respectful. Yeah. But the cool thing is about crazy kids like your kids, and I'm not just saying this because you're here. I actually think this. Uh, they're respectful though. Like if I say, yeah. "Hey, Rocket, let's reel it in," he's like, "Okay, Coach." Like he just like yeah. immediately gets it. Sorry, yeah. my bad. I'm having a lot of fun here. Uh, it's never a problem, you know. That's our whole thing, you know. Like parenting, Daisy and I, like you can be crazy and all that, and sometimes they're hellions at home. But as long as you're respectful to other people, you're good in school, respectful at school, you know, you know, keep that fire, and and you're fine. But you know, as soon as you know, we get some, you know, something from a school or they're not respectful to another person. You know, that's where you're like, all right, something's got to change. But they've been good as far as being respectful and, and doing really good at school. And teachers will be like, oh, Rocket's such a sweetheart. And we're like, what? All right, <laughs> right, but, Lucky? Yeah. For you, maybe. <laughs> yeah. The kid, we named him Rocket. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. He is his namesake at home. <laughs> yeah, he is. That's awesome. That's funny. Oh my gosh! You know what I just remembered? Funny story. Um, your tattoo on your arm, the the first one, not the one yeah. that you got later, but the first one. Didn't a, didn't somebody get a cop? Like somebody got that exact tattoo, right? Yeah, 
there's a guy on Instagram. He apparently just took it off one of my photos, whatever. And he's like, check it out. I got the same. What was funny though, he got, <laughs> he got that tattoo, but he got this armband thing that I've had since I was like 17. And I got this tattoo basically to like cover that up. And he got that thing too underneath it. And I was like, Oh my. <laughs> like, he actually oh. covered it up. <laughs> Yeah, oh gosh what what does that feel like it's crazy you know because i don't know i feel the same i'm like a i feel like i'm at esu wrestling you know and then obviously you're in the public eye you know with mixed martial arts and some ultimate fighter and all that kind of stuff and and uh i remember cb dollar was on the on the ultimate fighter season before me and i was on and then you have a break you know, and then the finals are on. And so we did the finals and whatnot. Or actually, we didn't do the finals yet, but it was airing. It was aired on TV already. And I went to my first UFC fight, and he's like, we got to go pick up our tickets, you know, at the MGM. He's like, there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to be mobbing us and stuff. I'm like, what? No way. You know, we walk in to grab our tickets, and people have seen the two shows by now. They've seen CB's season, and they've seen our season up until the finals. And all of a sudden, there was like, you know, a person comes over, hey, can we get an autograph? And then all of a sudden, you know, we're in MMA. You know, we're going to MMA fights. We're all MMA fans. At one point, there was like 100 people around, you know, tugging on your shirt, wanting to get them. And that was my first point where anybody's ever asked that. I was like, holy crap, this is crazy, right? Especially then. You know, through the years, you kind of get used to it, whatever. But, um, I mean, I'm just the same person I've really always been. And so it does – not weird me out, but like stuff like that with a tattoo, you're like, why would you want to get a tattoo that <laughs> I have kind of deal? You know, I could yeah. come to the territory, but it's definitely a weird kind of a weird deal. Well, you've done a remarkable job, not, and I say remarkable job because a lot, like obviously you're a fantastic person to talk to. You're easy to hang around and like you're respectful. Uh, and you have not done anything like that is Conor, you know, Conor McGregor yeah, yeah. headline or something like that. You know, even Khabib, like, jumps on Dylan Dennis, kicks him in the face. Like, stuff like that doesn't – you haven't had anything like that except for maybe the Daniel Cormier thing, which I actually don't even know what happened with that. That was, like, at a press conference he got all mad at you or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it was kind of set up, to be honest. But Oh, we're, wow. That... Yeah, we were trying to get that title fight, you know, and, and uh, Daniel and I kind of both know, knew. You know, he he knew I was going to be in there, and he was like, let's, let's cause a little scene, so – we kind of, huh. uh, kind of did that, you know, trying to get that fight. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I'm not, I'm not that guy, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I just kind of grew up in that wrestling world, and you know, come from Reno, Nevada, out in the country, out there, and just kind of, I, I, I don't like, you know, when you know somebody and they, they've changed because you know a little bit of fame or a little bit of money or whatever it is, you know, I think that's kind of the worst thing in the world, you know. Stay true to your roots, be the person that you are. Um, I get, you know. I get the trash talking and stuff and, and, you know, like a Connor situation, obviously that that's worked out well for him, you know, and, and I've heard Connor's awesome to be around when he's not in that persona, you know, and I, and I get that entertainment part. Um, but then you see some guys that are, they just try to switch that on like mid career when they've never been that guy. And then all of a sudden they're that guy, you know? Mm. Um, and so I just try to stay true to myself who I've always been, you know, and, and I like, Real people, respectful people, and I try to be that. Do you happen to have any opinion on all these, uh, like, you know, influencers getting into boxing and kind of, kind of, kind of like immersing themselves and treating themselves like fighters, acting like fighters, but maybe they or they definitely don't have the same credentials as you guys and kind yeah, of put, throwing I'm, themselves I'm in that of, world. I'm kind of, uh, I'm on the fence with it. You know, I'm, I'm all about if people can go and, and do something and exploit something not exploit, that's the wrong word, but, you know, um, like a Jake Paul, right? Yeah. You know, if, if he can go in there and he can make that, make his money and, you know, um, go and box, if Logan Paul can go and box Floyd Mayweather, more power to him. You know, if you can go somebody in to, to, to be able to do that and make a crap ton of money, you know, go for it. You know, um, I would like them, I would like Jake to, fight a real fighter and i mean he is now he's fighting woodley um on jake's terms the boxing ring but yeah. you know uh, so and at the same time i don't love how they've skipped everybody and making you know crazy amount of money when some guys in the ufc that are badasses aren't making barely anything with money 
and they're a yeah. million times better fighter, you know, but they just got skipped over. So I'm on both sides of it, but I'm all about, you know, if you can do it and if people are going to watch or whatever and you get people to tune in, you know, more power to you. Yeah, in I some ways. Like, oh, go ahead, Jake. Sorry. I was just going to say, I feel like those boxing events are four hour long TikToks. They're <laughs> just the yeah. longest thing. Those the kids, those kids in the kids class call me Jake Paul and I lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe we're getting older or whatever, but I mean, that, the whole TikTok deal and, you know, um, like kids love it and all that kind of stuff. And you'll hear kids like, I was over here and we were at the beach. And I had a, um, there was like a, I don't know, there were like 20, 21 year olds. They were kind of playing outside the house, playing the, like a drink game, whatever. And started talking to them. And she's like, she's like, yeah, talking about Logan Paul and Mayweather and how Logan's going to crush Mayweather and all that. And I'm like, that's just so delusional. I'm like, <laughs> all that like, TikTok world, you know, it's just crazy. But I don't want to sound like a old dad or anything, but blows my mind. Yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm old when I voice my opinion on it but i just feel like like you said it's kind of sad how there's even like some young up-and-comers in mma like mid-20s or whatever they've been training their whole lives and they're making 10 and 10 in the ufc and then jake paul comes in and makes you know 50 million knocking out ben Askren, and it's just that's the part that's kind of upsetting but at the same time people say like oh it just brings more eyeballs on the sport i guess time will tell with that but yeah but yeah it is kind of it's kind of tough to watch sometimes for me I mean, in that same token, too, I mean, it does give opportunities to some of these MMA guys like uh, Ben Askren or Woodley, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they're making great money going out there. Obviously, it didn't work out well for Ben Askren. Um, but, yeah. I, I mean, I was one of the one. I like Ben Askren, but I, I didn't think that was going to go well for him anyway. You know, yeah. he, he's just not a good striker, and then you're going to put him in a straight boxing match. You know, but at the same time, you know, he got a lot of eyeballs on him. He made some money, and um, – skirted off to whatever he's doing now playing you know disc golf or whatever and yeah. you know um investing in bitcoin <laughs> bitcoin you know woodley <laughs> i think woodley it, i i still think it's gonna be a good fight because jake he can box yeah. a little bit and he's he's young he's he's in great shape and he hits hard you know um woodley's more technical i believe he hits hard too but um jake's doing a good job at picking picking those fights you know but woodley's mm-hmm. a tough test so who knows like we saw Anderson Silva actually look really good in yeah. boxing. Super Won good. his fight. That was crazy. Yeah. Um, I think that's that, that was like I, another situation where you're like, please, the MMA yeah. community needs one, just yeah. one. Yeah, and then he went up and he did. Win. It was a legit win. He looked awesome. Yeah. You know, he what 44, 45 years old. You know, um, he's a good dude too. Uh, just I've known him from he coached our Ultimate Fighter a little bit, and I've seen him here and there. Um, you know, because my coach was Nogueira, and they're good friends and. I was happy to see that, you know, after, you know, probably the biggest legend in MMA, and then he kind of just fought too long in mixed martial arts, you know, and, you know, started, I wouldn't say tarnish his legacy, but he started taking those losses and all that. So people mm-hmm. remember him for those instead of what he did in his prime. So it was good to see him kind of move on to the boxing world. It's something that he's always wanted to do and then fight a legit boxer and beat him. And that's definitely cool to see. Yeah, and you know, you brought up we brought up like um, the price difference, or like not the price, but the the money winning difference. Um, yeah. If you look up, if you see the paid the pay scale between Poirier in the first, second, and third fight, he always made like four to five times less than McGregor. In the first McGregor fight, I think he made four thousand dollars. What? In the second one, I think he made yeah, but because oh. back then. He was that was a lower tier yeah. fight on the card. I right, think McGregor right. made like ten something k or whatever. Um, and then the next fight, it was like hundreds of thousands. And then this fight, he made a million, and Connor made like close to five million. And in that fight, and it's like, yeah. dude, those are, those are always tricky too because they they don't give like with Bellator also like we got a deal where you will disclose a certain amount, and then mm. you get you know the rest of whatever. This but is a news that. source. Yeah. But that that's like your that's like your check you get right then and there. But then with Poirier and stuff like that, they're going to get pay per view. McGregor's always going to make more than anybody because he brings the eyeballs, right? You yeah. know, and, as he should, I guess, because he's has you know, I think nine out of the top twelve biggest gate or biggest pay per views of all time. You know, um, but they yeah, Poirier's make more than that just on the those pay per view buys and stuff like that. I'm sure he's happy. Um, but yeah, but those things are tricky. You'll see like. Four different sites, and 
you know, there's four different numbers. There's a lot that goes into that, but, um, but besides they're pretty true on everybody on the, besides the main event, you know, that's why I kind of left. Uh, I knew what I was getting when, with Bellator and I was like, you know what, I'm going to fight this contract out, you know, um, after a title shot didn't come and all that, I'm like, I'm going to move on and see what I can do elsewhere. And you know, I've been really happy on that side. So um, I, I have one last question for you. I don't know if Jake has any more, but yeah. I was just wondering if you had an opinion on like the UFC and like, like people say it's a monopoly and Dana White's disputed that. But now there's like a lot of really awesome promotions that have amazing fights that people want to watch outside of the UFC. Like obviously Bellator is huge. They do yeah. a great job bringing in veterans and prospects as well. Mm-hmm. And then like PFL, there's so many, so many other like one good FC. options. Yeah. One FC. There's so many yep. good options now. Do you think it's important for that competition to be there? Or yeah. do you think, uh, okay, can, can you kind of yeah, talk about your thoughts so, on that? So, like, the UFC, right? And when we were, you know, back in the day, it was kind of UFC or nothing. You know, you had the mm-hmm. WEC for the smaller guys. And, I mean, Bellator was around, kind of, you know. Um, you know, at that point in my career, I had 20 UFC fights, and I, I decided to fight it out. And um, I felt like I, I've been there. I've done that. You know, I was on the Lisbon Fighter, 20 fights UFC, all that kind of stuff. I felt it was time for me to, you know, move on and, you know, kind of reap the rewards of, you know, that my work I've done so far, you know, but I had those 20 UFC fights. I was in there. I fought at the top of the le- you know, top level of mixed martial arts where a guy like uh, Michael Chandler, you know, he started off in Bellator and mm. he took a, he took a pay cut to come to UFC. Why? Because he wanted test himself and he wanted to fight in the UFC you know he never has fought there before he's Bellator exclusively and so he still wanted that that feeling that you know obviously UFC is the biggest baddest promotions out there so he wanted to go do that and he did very well you know he lost for the title but he went out there and one of the best debuts in UFC beating knocking out Dan Hooker you know and, and getting a lot of eyeballs on him um, you know, so I felt like I was there, done that, and it was time for me to move on, you know, and luckily there are options now, you know, and, and Bellator does do a good job with, you know, signing those veterans and um, they're pretty picky with who, you know, you got to have a big name or you got to be, you know, uh, very competitive with these veterans that they're coming over and they're doing a good job now. What they want to do is build guys from the ground up, you know, yeah. like AJ McKee and all that kind of stuff. And so um, Pitbull and, and Aaron Pico. Pico, all those guys, you know, and so um, I just love that there's there's different promotions out there for people to go to. PFL, One FC, you know, Ryzen, you know, and obviously Bellator, and so um, the more and more we can get, the better. And honestly, even these boxing deals, if there's just more opportunities out there for people to go out there and compete and make money, you know, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's all important to keep in mind, like that. Uh, for us looking at MMA with some sort of education in martial arts and mixed martial arts, it's like we can make these, you know, speculative claims and we can we can look at it with a with a with an intelligence about it. But also the more promotions there are, the more f- casual fans can watch. You yeah. know, if if like not every casual fan is gonna wanna buy an ESPN plus membership to watch UFC. Maybe they wanna dip their toes in the water for MMA watching pfl or titan fc or one fc or even rough mma which is a local promotion here in arizona uh i think that it's very important to have multiple organizations now khabib has eagle fc george uh, jorge masvidal has gamebred fc like they all have their own promotions now i guess that's gonna be the next big thing is just more i don't know but uh you know guys are hey i want to fight in ufc or i want to fight in these bigger shows you know uh there needs to be those regional shows out there Mm -hmm. you know like uh um, LFA, you know, it's a good feeder for the UFC. You go win the belt there. I mean, you're pretty much a shoe in to get into the UFC and stuff. And, you know, back, you know, nowadays you're not going to come in, you know, have two fights and jump right into UFC. It could have happened back in the day, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, we went the ultimate fighter route. We had like four fights and jumped in, but we had division one, all American status wrestling, all that, you know, now we need those shows, you know, to prove yourself and, you know, you go in be able to jump into a bigger promotion. So the more, the better, to be honest, you know, and, and as long as they're, as long as they're reputable, they pay their fighters, you know, it's safe, you have commission, then, you know, do it. 
you know. So uh, back in the day, we, we fought in Mexico. We fought in a barn and globe, all that kind of stuff. So it's good to see more more tightening up of that. Oh, yeah. Seth Bozinski has told me some stories. More, oh, yes. more than I thought I was comfortable with. I don't even think I actually was. That man has called me obscene names in restaurants uh, <laughs> that I'm not going to say on our podcast. But, uh, you know, it's funny you brought that up. That doesn't happen very much anymore, like a couple fights. Because I know Rafael Lovato Jr. Rafael, sorry, he's yeah. not Brazilian. Rafael Lovato Jr. fought like, I think he fought like one or two. Yeah, I mean, fights, he has maybe? that background, right? He has a, yeah, he had the uh, Black War champion. Yeah, very, yes. very good back, background. So that happens every once in a while. But even, I mean... Uh, when Connor was coming up, he was doing really well over in, in the mm-hmm. UK on those promotions and whatnot. And, um, you know, he kind of had to beg to get in and they gave him a shot and realized he's, you know, he's very charismatic. He's a good fighter. And so, um, it's just harder and harder to get into these big shows now. You know, I, I'm, I'm even trying to get, you know, a training partner solely, you know, in, uh, in Bellator. And he got, he had one fight, knocked the guy out in like 20 something seconds and they're like, well, we didn't see enough of you. I'm like, yeah, he just knocked the guy out. Like, yeah. you know, so I'm going to get on, the, on, on my card. I'm fighting here in September. Um, but it's just, it's tough, you know, because those matchmakers have this, as the sport has gotten more popular, more people want to do it. And so they're just getting inundated with people. Hey, can I have an opportunity? Can I do this? I'll step in short notice, this and that. So those matchmakers, all they do, they're on their phone all day. Basically, you know, yeah. saying no, saying yes to a few people, but it's getting harder and harder. So if you have these smaller shows, like at LFA, you go out there, win those fights, win the belt, prove yourself, it's a lot easier. So the more, the better. All right. That's awesome. Well, Jake, did you have any more, uh, any more questions for Ryan? It's yeah, almost been an hour or so. No, for sure. Uh, you said you're fighting in uh, September. What day? Yeah, nothing official yet. Uh, they're trying to figure it out um, roughly end of September. Uh, we were... I mean, if you look on their site and all that, this tournament was supposed to go, you know, July and then, you know, October for the finals. But um, I think venue-wise, because they just did their last show with no fans, and so they're going to L.A. in two weeks with the Pitbull-AJ fight with fans. And so I think they were trying to figure that out. And so they said 100% September. That's when the light heavyweight tournament will revamp up. And then, you know, hopefully around December, January for the finals – and then uh, go out there, win that belt, defend the heavyweight belt. And we've got an interim champ at the heavyweight now. And then uh, uh, just keep it rolling. All right. Well, oh, awesome. hey, ladies and gentlemen, you can watch Ryan Bader go against Corey Anderson in September. Not date confirmed yet, but make sure yeah, you read him. Yeah, he's got the, the open guard cast blessing now. Um, <laughs> for sure. That's a real thing. I'm, I'm going to freaking die on that hill. Even if it means yeah. a lot of people win after guard. coming on. <laughs> you people just win after like coming on the show, dude. You you're gonna lose. <laughs> yeah, no. I hope Chell never says anything about me fighting ever. <laughs> I think he's like <laughs> Jake Watson's gonna win. Yeah. Ryan Darth Bader. No, I love no. how he sits in that chair now too. Bad guy Inc. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But uh, yeah, if you don't have any more questions, then uh, Ryan, is any uh, better you want to shout out or anybody you want to thank? I know you probably have uh, some coffee companies and knife companies you'd like to. <laughs> Well, I mean, we have yeah, Kill Cliff. You know, they're clean energy drink. We got CBD drinks too. Uh, Black Rifle mm-hmm. Coffee, Eight Man Strong, been with me for a long time. You know, and then uh, some other boring ones that wouldn't even matter if I got them out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm we'll gonna tag all the ones don't have to have So it would be just hey, yeah. go look at that. Ethanol I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna order some Black Rifle Coffee right now. Yeah, so that I can good. become more of a man and drink better coffee. So they just sent me the whole packet. They sent me like literally like 14 appliances to make, you know, the pour over coffee and the Chemex kind of deal. Yeah. I mean, it was. I just uh, want to grind up some coffee like a normal human being. That's what I do. That's what I do now. As you grind it up, pour it in there, pour it over. It's actually pretty good. First time it took me like a half an hour. Now I can do it under five minutes. But I was like, oh, this is how coffee is supposed to taste instead of doing yeah. like the little K-cups. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's good. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Well, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you follow Black Rifle Coffee Company uh, if you want to drink coffee, either like a normal patriot American or like a foo-foo vegan. Yeah. Not that vegans <laughs> are fo- – whatever. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, hipster, but, yeah. Yeah, hipster. Put on your fedora and make some coffee in the morning. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank um, 
just you guys for a hundred episodes of the Open Guard Cast. Absolutely well, unreal. Congrats, guys. Freaking I've had to look at Danny's ugly thank, thank you, you, Mr. Bader. <laughs> we have I've had to look at Danny's ugly mug for over a hundred episodes now. Um I get to listen to his soothing voice, but gosh, a face only my mother could love um, <laughs> for some reason. But, uh, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for everything. We want to thank so uh, Maracaba BJJ, Mario Andre Academy. We're going to continue doing this podcast. We're going to get Chael Sonnen on one day, and he, we're going to battle for who sounds more like Chael Sonnen, me or him. <laughs> um, and uh, we're going to keep on just vying for commentary opportunities. I'm going to keep on fighting. I'm going to keep on moving up. Danny's going to freaking be there with me every step of the way. Be sure to tune into all the flow grappling events and uh, be sure to watch Ryan Bader as he goes. And we believe he will be victorious over court. <laughs> I got to get down there and see it. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. No, just thanks again to Ryan. Um, obviously you're one of our favorite fighters being from Arizona and seeing you compete you. in jujitsu has been incredible so definitely looking forward to your fight and all your future fights and we definitely think you're going to be the the light heavyweight and the heavyweight champion and uh, and yeah thanks again for coming on and thanks everyone for listening this is episode 100 and we'll see you guys shortly for episode 101 thanks guys